0: And say, I will now say again, our children are heading out to Children's Church. We have Children's Church and Nursery starting at birth, going all the way into the second grade. Um, If you would like to send your kid that way, I believe they've headed that way. I'm sure we can help you get there. If not, you are stuck with me. And I regret to inform you, I have been told to go long today to make sure that all the food is ready and warm. So I'm going to add on a couple of extra pages here, and we're just going to go for it. (laughs) Says <laughs> who? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Randy, you, you won't even notice how long I go. You'll, you'll be into it your own special way. We are continuing in the book of Zephaniah, and if you're with us today for the, the first time um, in a while, uh, Zephaniah is one of the minor prophets, is one of these kind of 12 minor prophets that all get kind of lumped together. Now, you're going to listen to the prophet Zephaniah, and you're probably going to say, good golly, this guy picked this for a, a, a Thanksgiving sermon? No, I did not. Um, but we're going we're gonna to get into this. And and what is happening in the book of Zephaniah is we have a prophet who is, is writing, or he, his, his prophecies are being written down in the days of a certain king uh, of a kingdom called Judah. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, there was this big nation um, under David and Solomon called Israel. Um, after David and Solomon died, uh, the, the, the nation of Israel split into two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom that kept the name Israel and a southern kingdom that was called Judah. And Israel was always bad, always had bad kings, always dealing with idolatry and all sorts of other bad stuff. And eventually they, they ceased to be because of a nation called Assyria. And then in the southern kingdom, they went a little bit longer and they had a couple of kings that were pretty good. One of those good kings was a, a king named Josiah. Now Zechariah is the prophet in the days of Josiah, but probably when Josiah was just a young, young man uh... and so josiah even though he was a good king probably in the days of zephaniah he had not done anything yet that would kind of mark him as a good king and so the policies of his father and his grandfather were really what was still running the nation of judah and josiah's father and grandfather were two of the worst kings in the history of judah and so zephaniah is is being a voice for God to Josiah and to the people of Judah to quit doing the wicked things that they were doing and to return to God. And in Zephaniah chapter 2, which is where we're going to start today, we're going to start hearing God call them to return to him. So let's get into it. We're going to begin in Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 1, and we're going to read the first seven verses of Zephaniah chapter 2. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. The word of God says this. It says, gather together, gather yourselves together. Yes, gather, O nation without shame. Before the decrees take, fe- take effect, the day passes like the chaff. Before the burning anger of the Lord comes upon you. Before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the earth, who have carried out His ordinances. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. For Gaza will be abandoned, and Eshkelon a desolation. Ashdod will be driven out at noon, and Ekron will be uprooted. Woe to the inhabitants of the seacoast, the nation of the Cherethites! The word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, land of the Philistines. And I will destroy you, so there will be no inhabitation. So the sea coast will be like pastures, with caves for shepherds and folds for flocks and the coast will be for the remnant of the house of judah they will pasture on it and the houses of eshkelon you will lie they will lie down at evening for the lord their god will care for them and restore their fortune please be seated in 1981 the Grammy Award-winning song Looking for Love by Johnny Lee came out. Now, I was born in 1981, and I don't remember it coming out, but I definitely remember the song. And the song tells the story of a man who, who has finally met the woman of his dreams. And, and that woman that he hopes to spend the rest of his life with. But, but in the midst of that song, we hear about how the author has, has gone to all of these other places in his, in his previous life, in his past, looking for love. He mentions that he's gone to bars, that he has played all sorts of the relationship games that he has lied to to get women interested in them or, or keep them interested in him, even turning to strangers in hopes that maybe one of these strangers will be the one. Johnny Lee famously says that he was looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for love in too many faces. Does anybody remember that song? And I cannot tell you why, but as I was reading Zephaniah 2, that was the song that came into my head. Pray for your pastor. See, because in the midst of our passage today, the prophet is calling the nation of Judah to go looking for shelter for the upcoming day of the Lord. And he says it this way He says, Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. But where were the people of Judah going to find this righteousness? Where were they going to find the the shelter that they needed so that they might hide from the upcoming days of the Lord? Our passage today answers that question and and along with that also gives us a couple clues of where not to look. Like the song says, he was looking for love in all the wrong places. And so too the Lord wants to make sure that Judah does not go looking for shelter in the wrong places as well. See, God calls first for them to seek righteousness, but not in themselves. If we go to the very beginning of the chapter, we see how this one begins. He says, gather yourselves together. Yes, gather, O nation without shame. Now what's interesting about, about uh, the beginning of chapter 2 is the beginning of chapter 2 is really kind of a continuation of chapter 1. And so what we've had happening in chapter 1, is we, if you guys remember from last week, is, is, is Zephaniah has just really set the tone that this is not going to be a pleasant message. And he tells them, this is what you're doing. This is the consequences of what you're doing. There's some bad, you know, you, you have sinned against God and there's going to be consequences for you sinning against God. And he is, he is laying it all out for them. He's telling them everything they've done and what the consequences are. You can go back and read it. And if you go back and read the whole chapter, which hopefully you will do or you have done, you kind of begin and kind of go, dang, these guys messed up. But the, the thing is, is often when we are given news, when we are given information, when we're given even an accusation or a charge like we get in Zephaniah 1, there has to be a so what? Like, hey, you've done this, this has happened, and then you kind of get to a point when it needs to say, what do I do? What do I do about that? What is my response to that? How do I respond to the news and the information you're giving me? And that's what Zechariah 2 is essentially doing. He's telling them what they should do about the news that they've received in chapter 1. He begins with this command, Gather together, yes gather, you nations without shame. The Lord is making it abundantly clear that where the nation of Judah stands in relationship with Him. He has told them that they are a nation without shame, that they are sinful, that they have turned their backs on God, that they have done all of these things without shame. They've done it in the public square, in the temples, with other people doing. They Quite literally, they are sinning against God and they are celebrating their sin. And for this reason, the Lord is going to gather them like wheat is gathered. Like we would rake up leaves or, or, or hay or, or long grass that is ultimately destined to be burned. That was the imagery that that God is conveying through this when he says, gather, gather them together. I want you to picture for just a moment if you were going into your yard and you were raking up your leaves with the intention of burning them. Don't do that right now. There's a a burn notice. I just got a note from Randy. Um, Don't do that. (laughs) But that's the imagery that's going on here. That you are raking your leaves together for the intention to be burned. For them, it was more of like wheat. As you would bundle the wheat together, you would thresh out the, the kernels and the good things, and then the rest of it would go to the fire. The Lord is telling them that their hope is not found in what they are doing now and not found in themselves. That their righteousness, that their identity as Israel or as Judah or anything else that they might applaud themselves for and convince themselves that they, because they do this or because they do that, that God has to be okay with them. He's saying none of that will stand in the day of the Lord. They will be disappointed and they will be judged if they try to stand on their own. I would dare say the same is true for us today. All too often we place our hope in good behavior or in some sort of family legacy or some sort of denominational distinction and we think that because we are this or because we are that that we are in right standing with God. But the reality is that we all are sinful, broken people. We all know this. It's hard for us to admit sometimes. And I hear often people say, I don't like that, that Christians kind of talk about how, how we're, we're messed up. And I get that. No one wants to hear they're messed up, right? No one, no one ever comes to you and if they say, came up to you and said, Well, you're messed up, are you going to go, Yeah? You're going to be like, Well, you ain't no Daisy either. But we know it's true. Everyone in this room can probably think of a time where you knew what you were supposed to do and you didn't do it. Most of us know that about one second after we did that thing. Can I tell you how many times in my life something has come out of my mouth and the moment it left my mouth, I thought, shouldn't have said that. Or we do something and the moment we do it, we say, I shouldn't have done that. And the reality is, is there's just times in our life where, where we kind of, you know, be on reflection or whatever reason, we just kind of come to this thing where, like, you know, this is not where I want to be. You know, I don't feel, I don't feel right about this. I don't feel good about. This There's always times in our lives where we feel out of place. We feel like we're not doing what we are supposed to be doing. And guys, this is the feeling of brokenness in our lives. We recognize that we are a sinful, fallen people who live in a sinful, fallen world. And if we're really honest with ourselves, we know that's true. And we we sense it. We feel it feel it, when we have strained relationships, when we are not happy and satisfied and content with where we are in life, all of these things point to the reality of the fall. The prophet Isaiah said it this way when he said, all like sheep have gone astray and each of us has turned to his own way. See, the nation of Judah at this time was, was going their own way. They were worshiping idols. They had kind of mixed all of these religions together to just do whatever they wanted, when they wanted. They were living in sin, and, and, and because of that, they were going to be judged because of their sin. And if we look at even ourselves, we identify with that. And we may try to do things to make us feel good or make us think we're better than other people, but we know that's not going to hold up against a perfectly righteous God. That we, all of us in this room, with no exceptions, are like sheep who have gone astray. And whether it's the pastor standing behind the pulpit, the person sitting on this side, the person on sitting on this side, or the person sitting dead center, All of us are sinners. God tells us first to seek righteousness, but not in ourselves. He goes on to tell them to seek righteousness, but not in your neighbor. So, If we look at verse 4, we begin to see how the Lord has focused his attention on the land of the Philistines. He begins, if we look at verse 4, he says, For Gaza will be abandoned, and then Eshcolon, and then Ashdod, and then Ekron, and and going on and on. And and it's kind of interesting what he is doing in this passage, because if you were to look at a map, you would begin to see that, that what God is doing is he's going to one of the farthest cities of the Philistines, and he's beginning to work his way closer to Jerusalem. For the people of that time, who would have had a pretty good idea of where all these places were located, they could almost hear in the the uh, the they could almost hear in the way he's doing it um, the drawing near. It's so imagine for a moment when you hear the Jaws theme that goes duh, dun, duh, dun, dun 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 dun. We know what that means, right? We know that that means that whatever danger is out there, that it's drawing closer and closer and closer. And that is the imagery that Judah is supposed to be getting from what he says. See, there was a temptation in the days of Judah, and even before that with Israel, to to align yourselves or find hope and confidence in the deals and alliances with surrounding nations. See, the people of Judah were not that different than us. They were pragmatic. They had, they had ideas of how to deal with problems. They saw the rise of the Assyrian army. They had probably heard the warnings of this new upstart in Babylon. Egypt was still to their south. They were surrounded by threats. And they, they quite pragmatically thought that if we begin to make alliances with the Philistines or maybe the Ammonites, or the Moabites, if we begin to make alliances with the people around us, then maybe, just maybe, we can, uh, uh, we can hold off the surrounding people. These alliances often took two forms. First, they would trust in them for protection because of their military might and political favor. Judah may have hoped to avoid invasion by Assyria or by Babylon through partnering with these people. But the Lord reveals to Judah that even these nations will not help them to avoid the coming judgment of God. This was not a new thing. In fact, Isaiah the prophet, long before Zechariah, spoke of the same things only in relationship to Egypt. In Isaiah 31.1 we read this, Woe to those who go down to Egypt! For help and rely on horses, and trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong. But they do not look to the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord. Again, I think we do this exact same thing, and we begin to put our faith in things instead of putting our faith in the One who created all things. We put our faith in money. We put our faith in political parties. We put our faith in even the military might of the U.S. government. We put our faith in our job. We put our faith in all kinds of stuff. And we think that if that, that stuff will somehow give our lives meaning and purpose, that because we, we do these things well, that, that somehow everything will be well for us. To this, God says, woe. And that doesn't mean woe, horsey. But rather, that is, that is a shame. Because when we put our faith in things, those things will fail us. We can go back into chapter 1, and at the end of Zephaniah chapter 1, he tells them that all the gold and all the silver that you possess will not save you from the coming day of the Lord. Not only did this mean those military alliances and putting their trust in in people or in, in things, but also that they would put their trust in the gods of these other nations. We talked about this last week that, that the by this point, and as, as Josiah was a young man, his, his grandfather uh, uh, Manasseh and his father uh, Ammon, thank you, it was coming. Um, his father Ammon, had had wholeheartedly given themselves over to idolatry. They had built they, temples to, a, a, and altars to Baal. They had erected the Asherah poles. They were, they were doing things with Molech and all sorts of things, all sorts of heinous, wicked, awful idolatry. And then they had even gone so far as to begin to mix the things of, of Israel, mix the things of Yahweh in with this other stuff, putting stuff in the temple, taking the festivals that Israel had been commanded to do and turning them into festivals for these other beings. And, and they had done all of this As a way of hoping that maybe, just maybe, if they cover all of their bases, that they'll be okay. But the gods of these other nations were not gods at all. They were just wood and metal. that they were stone. And they would do nothing, and they could do nothing, to protect the people. The prophet Jeremiah also spoke of this in Jeremiah 11 chapter uh, chapter 11 verse 12 he says this he says then the cities of Ju- uh, Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem will go and cry to the gods to whom they burn incense and they will surely not save them in the day of their disaster We worship a lot of things A lot of us kind of create a religion of our own making. Of I think more likely the, the most common religion of our day that is not Christianity is called therapeutic monotheistic deism. And those are a bunch of fancy words that say you believe there's a God, but you believe that God is way up there. And he's just mostly sitting on a throne going, "Now y'all, now y'all play nice. He's a grandpa with no power hoping that everybody just gets along. But that's not who God is. But instead, the real God, the one true God, the God that that we worship is a God that is very much so involved in our life that not only is he the creator of all things, but he holds and sustains all things together, that he knows you by name. In fact, he knows the very hairs on your head and he cares about you and the relationship that he has with you. In fact, he cares about that relationship so much that not only is he willing to offer warnings to say, Hey, the path you are going on is not the path I have for you. But he's the God who loved you so much that he sent his one and only son to make a path for you. So that you would have a right relationship with him. See, we, a lot of times we look at prophecy like this and we look at, at the harsh words that we see from, from someone like Zephaniah and others in the Bible and we think, why is God such a mean God? But I'm reminded at that time of uh, of many years ago when Joseph was just a little, little boy. And, and he, if you've met my son, you know he likes to run. Mike Sullivan was convinced that he didn't know how to walk. And there were times where Joseph would, would get set down and he was gone. And on occasion, that, that, that running led to a road. Sometimes this road right out here. And I don't know if you've ever paid attention to how people drive on this road right over here, but they think that this is I-65B. And they go moving through there, and let me tell you, when you see a three-year-old running top speed towards that road, and he is not looking to his left, he's not looking to his right, and you know you can't get to him, you don't use soft, gentle words. But when Joseph was running through that, running for that road, all we had to, we stopped and we yelled as loud as we could because our goal was to get the boy to stop. And make no mistake, when I finally got a hold of my son and I, I got him, I didn't spank him or anything like that, but I turned and I used very sharp words to say, do not ever do that again. Now do you get it? I didn't use sharp words with my kids because I hated them. I used sharp words with my kids because I loved them. And I don't want to see any harm come to them. That is exactly what God is doing in this passage. And He is reminding them of the judgment that's going to come. And He is reminding them of the danger of the course of life that they are currently on. And He is telling them, I love you too much to see it end like this. That leads us to where we do find our shelter, our peace and our hope. You remember, we said at the beginning that God is calling them to seek righteousness and seek humility, and perhaps then they will be hidden on the day of the Lord's anger. but we really have to go to the beginning of that verse, which I'm sure you're well aware of. See, God is telling them to seek righteousness. By seeking Him. Verse 3 begins with these words, Seek the Lord. And all you humble of the earth who have carried out my ordinances, ordinances, seek righteousness, seek humility, for perhaps you will be hidden on the day of the Lord's anger. Just like us today, there was only one hope for the people of Judah. They needed to seek the Lord. See, at the heart of righteousness, humility, wisdom, justice, all of these things is God. God is warning Judah of what will surely come, but He is doing so that they can heed that warning and make a change. God is calling them to return to Him, to repent and and be humbled to come to him with, with humility so that he can show them mercy. Think about this for just a moment. He says in this moment that perhaps you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. He is encouraging them and warning them that there is salvation. That there is shelter. That you can find a place of safety and security. Indeed, that is the plan of the book of Zephaniah. The plan of Zephaniah was not to say, hey, it's coming. It's coming. Bang! But to say, hey, it's coming, seek shelter. For God loves you, and He does not want you swept up in the coming day of the Lord. And make no mistake, He is doing the same thing today. Even now, God is calling you in this room to seek Him, to repent. To see Him and to receive mercy. See, the message of the Bible has not changed from the very beginning. The message of the Bible is put your trust in God. We know the fullness of this now because we are, are live in the New Testament and it has put your faith and hope in Jesus. See, the message of the Bible is receive mercy for our God is merciful. to show you in Deuteronomy 4, verse 29. In the midst of Moses preparing, preparing the nation of Israel to be the nation of Israel, he says this, Seek the Lord your God, and you will find Him if you search for Him with all your heart and with all your soul. Jesus gives us the fulfillment of this in John chapter 12. Starting in verse 44, he says this, And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in the one who sent me. And he who sees me sees the one who sent me. For I have come as light into the world, so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. It is for this reason that the apostles said when they stood on trial that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. See, the call and the exhortation of Zephaniah was to seek the Lord. And the call and the exhortation for you today is the same thing. Seek the Lord. And we do that through Jesus Christ. Jesus says, if you see me, you have seen the one who sent me. And if you believe in me, you believe in the one who sent me. All of this is coming together. See, brothers and sisters, the day of the Lord is still coming and there will come a day where Christ will return and there will be a judgment and there will be an end to this world and all the pain and all the suffering and all the sin. And if we do not want to be swept up into that very thing, then we must come to Jesus. We talked in Sunday school this morning about the crucifixion and and that is how this happens was through the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus that Jesus came. And he lived a perfect life not to show us that we could, but so that he could take our place. See, the good news of the gospel that Jesus is trying to communicate even there in John chapter 12 is that he had come and that he was going to die on the cross for our sins and that he was going to rise from the grave three days later, that he was going to pay the penalty for sin, pay for all the charges that we know we're guilty of in Zephaniah. And then He was going to rise from the grave, giving us new life, eternal life, in a new covenant with Him, in a relationship with Him that can no longer be messed up by our actions and our attitude, and we need only believe. In fact, I think that Zephaniah... And verse 3 is very much so a proclamation of the good news of the gospel. Seek the Lord. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. In the gospel, we believe that if we believe, that we believe that Jesus is all that He said He was, that we believe that, that He is the Christ and that God Himself sent Him, that he died on the cross and he rose from the grave three days later, that if we believe this and also we come to the Lord, we repent of our sin and our own ways, we come in humility and we make Jesus Christ the Lord of our lives, that we will be saved. See, if we want to be hidden in the day of the Lord, then we must belong to Jesus. What I love about as we close out our time about this particular part of Zephaniah is he begins to give us a small picture of what that is like. Look at verse 7 again. It says, And, and the coast will be for the, rem- for the remnant of the house of Judah. They will be pasture." They will pasture on it, and the houses of Eshlon they will lie down in the evening, for the Lord their God will care for them and restore their fortune. See, this statement by Zephaniah is but a a glimmer of something we see dimly of what it will be like for those who are in Christ. The talk of of, of the the Philistines being gone is is a reminder that sin will be gone. And the consequences of sin and sinful and sinfulness will be gone. But in, instead, we will live in, in close fellowship with God. That we will live in peace. That the Lord will be near. That He will be our God. And that we will be His people. I think the best part of this good news is that it's for us. But if you are sitting in this room today, that this good news is for you. That there really is a God who loves you. That there really is a payment for sin. That there really is hope and salvation in the person of work of Jesus Christ. See, the best thing about good news is when good news is for you. But the catch with good news is good news always needs to be acted upon. I was talking to a group uh, just a few weeks ago, and we were talking about the gospel, believe it or not, and, and as we were having that conversation, I said, you know what, if I came into this room and I came in with the good news that there are cupcakes in the room right next door, That's good news, right? And they said, yeah, that's great news. I said, but when does that good news have an impact on you? And they looked at me funny, and then finally one of them said, well, I guess when we get up and go get a cupcake. I said, yeah, exactly right. See, the funny thing about that good news is I can give you good news that there are cupcakes in the other room, but if you just go, oh, that's nice. Cupcakes are nice. And you don't go get a cupcake, then you don't benefit from that good news, do you? See, really the first thing you have to do is if I walk in the room and I tell you, hey, there are cupcakes in the room next door, first thing you got to do is you got to believe that there are cupcakes over there. And I know it's cruel and unusual to be talking about food at this point in the game. But I'm getting you there. Well, the first thing you have to do is you have to believe there are cupcakes in the other room. Because if you don't believe me, if you don't think there are cupcakes on the other room, you're going to go, yeah, right, whatever. You have to believe that there are cupcakes in the other room. But then you actually got to get up and you got to go get yourself a cupcake. When we talk about salvation in Christ, the first thing we have to do is believe that it's true. That Jesus is everything he said he was and that he did, in fact, rise from the grave. The other thing is, is we got to reach out and we got to take that cupcake. And we do that by making Jesus Christ the Lord of our life. Does that mean you're perfect? No. Does that mean you're saved in and of yourself? Absolutely. That you did it? Absolutely not. You didn't bake the cupcake, but you have to reach out and you have to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life and you'll do it imperfectly and that's okay. But you draw a line in the sand and you say, from this day forward, I'm not going to follow myself. I'm not going to follow these people or that people or that thing over there. I'm going to follow Jesus. And I may not do it right every day and I may make mistakes, but from this day forward, that's where my nose is pointed. And if you're ready to do that today, please understand it is extended to you. As we close out our service today, I'm going to pray. We're going to sing one more song. If you would like to make Jesus Christ your personal Lord and Savior and you'd like to talk to me about that, I'm going to be standing right here. But I want you to know something. You don't have to talk to me. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there are people in this room that maybe you came with that can tell you what it means to put your hope and trust in Jesus. You can go over to there and over turkey and dressing, you can give your life to Christ. But know this, as we look at this passage, this bad news points to good news. That good news is for you. What are you going to do about it? Let's pray. Our gracious God and King, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you so much for the opportunity you give us to be in your word and to 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 see the gospel come and even a a book like Zephaniah. My God and my King, if there is anyone in this room today who has not given their life to Jesus, Lord, I pray that they do not lay their head on the pillow tonight without giving their life to Jesus. Lord, I pray that that even now you are convicting them and whether it's talking to me at the end of the service or, or talking to someone they came with, Lord, that they would surrender themselves to you. That this good news of the gospel would be good news for them and that that good news for them would be something that they believe and respond to. God, I know that there are other people in this room that, that are, are, are working through the reality that, that hard times are coming or hard times are here and they just need encouragement to, to trust you, God. And I pray that, that even in the midst of Zephaniah, they realize that God has never relinquished control. And God, even a a people like Judah who were so far from God still were loved by God enough to call them back into saving faith. And Lord, it doesn't matter how far even some of us who may consider ourselves believers uh, may have wandered from you, God, that your love has never failed and that your grace is forevermore. Father God, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for today because we know the scriptures say that today is the day of salvation. And God, it is my hope and prayer that we would not wait for tomorrow because today is here. And that we would trust in your salvation. That we would be thankful because you've made a way through Jesus. And God, that we would worship you because of your goodness and your grace. Lord, we ask all of these things in the precious name of Christ Jesus. Amen.